what am I going to say? I know it's complex. I know God welcomes all people. God calls us to trust Jesus wherever we're coming from, whoever we are. I know that there's more to it than that too. I know that God also calls his people to chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage between a man and a woman. I want to stand for Christ. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. And I also want to get on well with Roger. I'm sure he's probably feeling at least as nervous as me. After all, we're going to have to work together. We're going to be seeing each other every day. What can I say? I don't want to cave in and water down what the Bible says, and nor do I want to alienate a new colleague. Sometimes as Christians, it feels like we're caught between maintaining peaceful relationships with our neighbours and maintaining our convictions and our conduct as Christians. Now, this is a, a relatively mild example, really, but it's moments like these that make me want to keep my head down as a Christian. Maybe they do the same for you. And these moments are becoming a bit more common because increasingly our society thinks we're not only uh, weird but increasingly uh, robust Christian faith is seen as intolerant and therefore uh, harmful and damaging. Our society values personal freedom and pleasure as perhaps the greatest good and yet Jesus' teaching cuts right across that value. And so this is a pressing question for each of us following Jesus in 2022, in this part of Melbourne especially, whether you're at school or at work or at uni, chatting with other parents or out with friends, if you're known as a Christian sooner or later, you're going to face some awkward questions. And in our rapidly changing society, this feels like it's a new phenomenon, like this is a new dynamic for Christians, right? But actually it's not. Christians in the first century faced a lot more than just awkward questions, far worse from their neighbours. And that was especially true of the first Christians in Philippi, to whom this letter that Peggy read apart from, to whom it was written in the early 60s AD. Now remember that Philippi was a Roman colony, so it was especially loyal to the Roman emperor. They worshipped the emperor, calling him Lord and Saviour. So when Paul begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, he's cutting right across a core value, and they're not happy. And in an age before religious freedom, as we know it, the gospel of Christ is not only a different idea that's out there. Now, it's a threat to their very way of life and therefore to the welfare of the city. Listen to one of the accusations thrown against Paul from Acts 16. These men are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Customs unlawful. Now it seems the Philippians continue to face this strong pressure to give up their faith in Jesus, to conform to this Roman way of life and bow down to the emperor. What's more, their friend Paul, their partner in this gospel of Christ, is in prison, held captive by the very same Roman empire that's oppressing them. So how will they respond? 
How can they hold fast to the gospel, both in their convictions and in their conduct? Should they bow to the pressure? Jesus told his followers to turn the other cheek. Does that mean that they should simply give in and and modify or change the gospel so it uh, isn't offensive? Is that how they should play it? Or should they fight back and, and tear down the shrines and the statues to the emperor? defend themselves with force what sort of conduct is worthy of the gospel when faced with this kind of pressure to abandon the faith now that's a more extreme version of the pressure we're facing to cave on our commitment to christ it's not just about sexuality really for us it's it's the temptation to join the relentless pursuit of personal satisfaction To make life all about me and my well-being, satisfying my desires, uh, which is enabled by this unquestioning tolerance. It's a temptation to pursue that instead of living a life shaped by the gospel. Is my life defined by self-fulfillment or is my life defined by the gospel? After all, if you're a Christian, your very identity is defined not primarily by your race or your gender or your cultural background, but by the gospel, by your relationship with Christ. So the question is, how do we live with integrity in that? So that we don't have a yawning gap between who we are, our identity in Christ, and the way we conduct our life. This is what the Christians in Philippi are called to do. Look at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever happens. Paul is is summing up here. He's saying this is the most important thing. You may have to sacrifice other desires, even other principles, but whatever happens, don't give up on this. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul's not writing this from an ivory tower in a university. He's not cruising the Mediterranean, kicking back on the beach while he writes this. Now he's in prison. He's chained to a prison guard. He suffered beatings and shipwrecks and jail time for this gospel. And the Philippians know this well because uh, those accusations against Paul that I read just before, they ended up landing him in jail when he was in Philippi. And it's quite likely that the jailer, the very man who held Paul captive, is now sitting in this very congregation listening to Paul's letter be read out. Uh, You can read his story of how he comes to faith in Acts 16. So they know that Paul too is willing to make sacrifices, to live a life worthy of the gospel. He doesn't expect it to be easy. But that's what we're called to, because that's who we are in Christ. Now, let me just take a moment here, because I realise that not, more, not all of us might be in the same boat. You might be sitting here thinking, well, Mike, I'm not sure that Jesus Christ is the foundational reality of my life. I'm not sure that the gospel story is the story of my life. It's good to be honest about this. Uh, You're very welcome in our community, whether you're totally new to the whole Jesus thing or you've been a committed Christian for many years. 
Uh, we want you to feel welcome and free to ask your questions and get to know people wherever you're at. And if that is where you're at today, recognising that Jesus isn't the, the fundamental reality of your life, then what I say today will be like a little window for you. Hopefully it'll give you an insight to see what uh, life might look like if you do put Jesus at the centre and trust Him as your Saviour and Lord. Because when, when Christians say that Jesus gives us a new life, sorry, when Jesus gives us new life, we're not just talking about going to heaven after we die. That new life starts now. When we trust Christ, God makes us new. He gives us a new identity. And with His help, we, began to we begin to live this new life worthy of who He has made us in Christ, worthy of the gospel. And we can see what this life involves uh, when we understand what Paul calls the Philippians to, to do here. Uh, he says he's hoping to come and, and visit them and see them when he's released from prison, but even if he can't, and he only gets reports about them, what signs is he looking for to know that they're living a life worthy of the gospel? Uh, it's there in verse 27 in the second half and into 28. Paul says, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There's kind of three distinct hopes there, right? There's standing firm, striving together, and, not, and without being frightened, not being frightened. So let's dive in and, and have a look at these. Uh, last month on holidays, uh, I was driving along the Great Ocean Road. I think we might even have a photo here. It's this beautiful windy road, sheer cliffs, stormy seas, and eventually I get to the Twelve Apostles. Now, you might have been there as well. They're, they're majestic, right? Uh, they're, they're awe-inspiring, and they're just there. <laughs> They've just been there for so, so long. Year after year, century after century, for maybe 20 million years, they've just stood there through the storms and the wind, the constant beating of the waves, this beautiful monument to permanence in the ever-changing sea around them. And yeah, I know a few have collapsed recently and they're struggling a bit, but you know, that's not bad after 20 million years, right? They're doing okay. Well, friends, this is what God's Word calls us to, to stand firm. Don't capitulate in the face of opposition and give in, but also don't fight back and retaliate. Stand firm. There's two risks for us in our secular society. We might feel threatened by those who reject Christ and try to fight back and therefore dishonour the Christ we say we're serving. Or we might be naive about our world, we go with the flow, and so gradually get broken down by the constant erosion and undermining. Paul says no to both those options. Stand firm. We don't need to apologise for Jesus because his way leads to life. Y yes, we need to apologise for wrongs done by Christians. We're not perfect. 
But Jesus is good. God is good. We don't need to be apologetic about promoting Jesus. His ways are good. And so Paul says, stand firm in the Spirit. I don't think he's talking about community spirit here when he says the Spirit. I think he means in the power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The strength to resist and stand firm doesn't come from you. It doesn't even come from one another. It comes from the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit we all share if we trust in Christ as Lord. The Holy Spirit who gives strength and endurance. The Spirit who gives life and joy and peace. The Spirit who enables us to call on God as our loving Father and to speak boldly that Christ is Lord. Because this is how we stand firm. We stand firm by persisting in our relationship with God and the habits that sustain it. We persist in personal prayer to God as our loving Father, in reading God's Word and listening to Him, in meeting together with God's people in church and at small group. And we persist in standing for Christ in the world, maintaining that Christ is Lord in a society that resists and opposes His Lordship. Because living a life worthy of the gospel means standing firm for Christ. Uh, Secondly, it also means teamwork. Uh, You see that in verse 27, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You can't live a life worthy of the gospel by yourself because it takes teamwork. Our relationships are as much a witness to Christ as the work that we achieve. This is why it's so sad when Christians fight each other. Because it's not just what we do as Christians that count, it's how we do it. The, The relationships, working together in unity, in partnership with other Christians. We we show our love for one another, as Jesus says. So suppose you've listened to Chris and Sarah, Chris and Sarah share about their neighbour. Uh, this morning and you're thinking uh, how can I help my neighbours know Jesus a great question to ask is not so much how can I reach my neighbours but how can we reach your neighbours how can you work together with your church family with other Christians because the thing is sometimes being a Christian looks weird right yep I trust that's not just me, but (laughs) sometimes it looks weird. And if it's just you out there by yourself, then people will think, that's just Mike, he's just weird. But when they see a community of Christians working together, even if we're doing something a little bit weird, when they see us striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, they can see, oh, it's not just Mike. Maybe there's a place for me in this community too. Maybe there's something in this for me. And so Paul wants to see them working together in unity with each other. Now I know sometimes this is hard and disagreement and conflict come up. Uh, I'm going to pass that to next week when Ali is preaching on Philippians 2. uh, All about the attitude that we need to maintain this unity, especially when it's hard. 
And this, as you read through later in Philippians, you can say, yeah, they have, this is not easy. There have been some, some issues that have come up in Philippi. But living a life worthy of the gospel, it means standing firm and it means teamwork. And thirdly, it means being brave. Being brave. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, I'm not very good at this. I don't think I'm a particularly brave person. I remember uh, as a child wanting to go on one of those uh, paddle boats that you pedal with your legs, and mum and dad said, well, you can only go on it if you can show that you can put your head under the water. Well, there's no way I was doing that. (laughs) That's why I didn't get to go. (laughs) I'm not a naturally brave person. So these words are challenging. You see, Paul knows that there are people, uh, likely in this case the Roman authorities in Philippi, who, who are opposing the Christians in Philippi, opposing their faith in Christ. He knows that they could be intimidating and threatening. And so he says, don't be frightened. I think this is really helpful for us to hear. Because sometimes we too get spooked. Uh, whether it's a conversation like that one with Roger, or maybe someone tells us how offended they are by the Bible. We hear people raging against what God's Word teaches, and it, it throws us. We feel intimidated or, or threatened, even. It makes us want to keep our head down. But take heart, it's not personal. This is par for the course for Christians. God is not surprised or frightened by those who oppose us. So we don't need to be either. Now, we might actually need to reset our expectations a bit here. Not many of us think of being a Christian as requiring bravery. But actually it does. If we want to stand firm, if we want to work together as one to promote the gospel, we will face opposition. So we will need to be brave, to hold fast to our convictions and not be frightened or intimidated. Now, I said if you're uh, someone for whom Jesus isn't the foundational reality of your life, you uh, hopefully will get a bit of a window Uh, into what being a Christian is all about, and that might be a bit of a negative picture by now, right? Being a Christian means standing firm. Well, that's hard work. Teamwork, oh yeah, yeah, that's okay. Being brave in the face of opposition, that's not much fun. And yet the incredible thing is, as we do this, as we courageously work together, stand firm in the face of opposition, God does something miraculous. He says that our lives worthy of the gospel become a kind of proof, a a sign that those who oppose us are actually working against God and therefore headed to destruction. Whereas our endurance becomes a source of strength and encouragement to us because it shows us that God is working in us and through us. It's a sign of our salvation by God. Some may even see this and turn and trust Jesus. When Christians endure and persevere like this, it's a wonderful miracle of God. Remember, the strength comes from Him, not from us. But it doesn't change the reality that following Christ 
will involve suffering. You can see it in verse 29, certainly for these Philippians. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So what does Paul mean to suffer for Christ here? How can he say that God has granted it to us, like it's some kind of gift? Worst gift ever, right? Who wants that one? But no, it's not the worst gift ever. In the kingdom of God, suffering is not the worst thing ever. Yes, if your goal is personal satisfaction, if that's what you're living for, then yes. Suffering is the opposite of that. It's the worst thing ever. But not according to Christ. Far worse to be separated from God. Far worse to be under God's uh, judgment and face destruction and pain without hope than to endure hardship and, and physical or emotional suffering in the hope of Christ. Now, now, do hear me clearly here. I'm not saying that suffering is a good thing. It certainly isn't permission to inflict suffering on others. It's not giving a free pass to abuse or bullying. But because Paul's not talking about all kinds of suffering here. He's specifically talking about this unavoidable suffering for the sake of Christ. Paul himself essentially got given the choice. Shut up and stop talking about Jesus or we'll throw you in prison and beat you. And he said, I'll take prison, thanks. When the authorities give you that choice, when you have to choose between giving up on a gospel-focused life or enduring suffering like Paul did, and like the Philippians were in the position of as well, then far better to suffer for the sake of believing in Christ. And as we'll see next week, Paul is saying that even when you're oppressed and powerless in the face of state-sponsored opposition, in this case, they can take away your freedom, they can inflict pain on you, but they can't stop you living a life worthy of the gospel. Because Christ himself suffered. And so Paul can talk about his suffering as a gift. Not, not because he likes suffering, but because of what it signifies. If you're suffering for Christ, it, it shows that your faith is genuine. It shows that God is working powerfully in your life because why else would you suffer for Christ? It's a sign, Paul says, of your salvation and that from God. If you can endure unavoidable suffering, not, not just any suffering, not suffering for being a jerk or being rude, suffering for the sake of the gospel, it's a sign that God is at work in you. And friends, Paul is not saying that we have to keep suffering if there's a way out. Paul himself sometimes escaped to avoid jail. The early Christians accepted martyrdom, but they uh, frowned on seeking it out. It's not something you seek out or you have to endure if there's a way out. If there's a way to escape suffering while maintaining a life worthy of the gospel without compromising your Christian convictions and conduct, you can take it. 
And for some of us, that's what we need to hear. For others of us, perhaps if you're like me, we're likely to be a bit too comfortable, a bit too ready to excuse ourselves. And so the encouragement here is to stand firm, to ask God's Spirit for strength, to stand firm for Christ together with one another. Because, friends, Christ stood firm for us. He endured suffering and pain for our sake. He even endured separation from God for our sake so that we will never be separated from God when we suffer. So because of what Christ has done, we too can stand firm and striving together live a life worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for standing firm, for pursuing the Father's will, living a life worthy of what God had called you to. Thank you for enduring opposition for our sake and suffering on the cross for our sake. We give you thanks and praise. Lord Jesus, would you help us to live lives that are worthy of you and your gospel, what you've done for us? Give us the power and the strength of your spirit. Fortify our courage and conviction. Might we be a witness to you through our perseverance, through our unity together through our courage. For your glory we pray. Amen.